Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit Reloaded. I'm Sandra Patel, founder and CEO of Transition Partners. This season, I'm flying solo as I sit down with international leaders to discuss their leadership journeys and how they have embedded a thriving and positive culture. Welcome back to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. My name is Sandra Patel and I'm delighted to be back recording here today. So today I would love to welcome Philip White, or shall I call you Phil? Phil White, Phil, 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 yeah, Managing Director at Audacia. So Phil, really, really pleased to know we've tried to organise this a, a couple of times and um, we've met at a few events and things now, so I'm really keen to... Um, well, I was really looking forward to having you on the podcast and really um, looking forward to sharing all your insights, your experiences, challenges, journey and future um, insights and and views as well with our listeners and viewers. So just to start with, I think it'd be really good to give everyone a bit of context um, and just to give us a little bit of background um, around your journey um, and in particular, I guess how it all started for you um, but then also in particular, like your journey into leadership and how you got to where you are today. Sure. I mean, it's mostly a fumble, an accidental fumble, but yeah. Um, so my, I, I started off in software, so I did degrees in software engineering, um, moved um, down south, worked in London, worked in banking. So I spent time working on a trading floor and investment bank, realised London wasn't for me. So I think it was more... Uh, trying to find roles outside of London. You know, there's not many roles for people who work in structured derivatives outside of London. Uh, couldn't really find a job that fit. I think the, the, the industry I was in, there was, you know, it's a lot of diverse young people doing a lot. Um, and then I think, I mean, this is kind of late 90s, early 2000s when there were probably less opportunities for younger people. You know, if you didn't have 10, 15 years experience, you weren't given a, a huge amount of scope to do stuff. So. I think I looked at an opportunity to do, the only way I was going to do it is to do something myself. And I think I quite like the idea of the freedom of it. You know, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't, you know, people talk about the big jump, you know, I was pretty young, I didn't have anything really hanging over me. So I think I saw it as an opportunity and it just kind of snowballed from there. Fantastic. Definitely didn't start off, definitely didn't start off with a strategy and an exit plan or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And was, was that your, um, you know, cause obviously you went to university and did, was it software engineering or a, a technical tech related yeah. um, degree? How, um, I think it'd be interesting to understand because the t- times have really changed since then, haven't they? And, and I think it's, it can be, um, it was a lot more challenging to kind of get that first break and, and move into um, tech back then. How, like what advice would you give um, to your younger self now from that aspect of, kind of jumping into a tech and, and building your career? I think picking picking the right degree, I think is important if you're going to do it. I think there are, I don't think a degree is a necessity anymore. I think it was definitely, I think historically it was yeah. just one way of filtering out. If you have a large set of people, you know, I think the market was slightly shifted then. You know, there were probably more people than roles. Um, so I think you were looking at ways to fold a pile of CVs in half. And if it's like, well, this, this pile has two ones and this pile is first, that's an easy way of getting rid of 50%. Um, 
Whereas now I think there are much more opportunities to get in without having a degree. So I think I would say if you're going to do a degree and spend the time and put the money in, I'd pick the right degree. I think there are definitely technical degrees that are pretty, there's a lot of shallow technical degrees. Yeah. And I think the problem is if you haven't got the real fundamentals, um, you find that we'll do a slight pivot in what somebody's being expected to do. And it's like, oh, I need another three, four years to. So I'd probably say choose wisely if you're going to go down that route. Yeah. But there's just so many choices now with apprenticeships. Yeah. I was just going to say that there is there's so many choices now, isn't there? Like, you know, even for me, like yeah. I, I, all I've ever done is recruitment since I finished university. Um, and even back then, I, I recall, um, you know, that I couldn't apply for a recruitment position if I didn't, like, without a degree, they wouldn't consider anyone that didn't have a degree. Um, so when I moved into a leadership role, I was always told if the, if the candidates haven't got degrees, don't consider them. Um, yeah. And obviously things have moved on so much since then and, and the same with, with tech, you know, getting into tech. There's so many like different coding courses and academies and things that are, mm. are worth more. Um, yeah, that there's just more value put on those over. So. I, think, I think if you're on a journey into leadership, I, w I would definitely suggest people focus on being good at what they want to do. Yeah. And have that leadership. And it. Yeah, and have leadership as a layer on top of that. I think, you know, still, you know. I'm not a big fan of people going into leadership for leadership's sake and then specialising in something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Um, fantastic. So, just tell me more about your, because obviously, you know, we're here to talk about leadership and culture, um, our experiences and, and, and sharing those with, with others in the view for them to, you know, learn, develop, get some takeaways from, from this session. So, be really interested to understand what your view is of leadership. What does leadership mean to you? Um, and tell us more about your style and what kind of what's worked and what maybe hasn't worked so well. Yeah, I suppose I've only got my own nose. There are potentially things I'm really bad at. I just am blind to that I'm not aware of. Um, so I suppose there's kind of three buckets of stuff. There's stuff that I know I used to be not great at. There's stuff that I know I am now or great at. And then there's stuff that I am, you know, reasonable at, I suppose. I mean, a big, I think a big challenge um, for leaders uh is knowing when to step in and when to step back and it's not a it's not a it's not a black and white approach to, to it i think i've frequently been on the wrong side of it and by that i mean you know when you know if you're in a situation with somebody who sees you as their leader if if you step in too soon the message you're giving is you're not you know you may think hey i you know i've stepped in i've, I've saved the day i've been wonderful don't worry i've got this but the message you've probably sent is i don't think you're capable therefore i'm taking the reins off you or actually, you know, it could be the other way around where it's like, I think you're amazing. I trust you. I'm going to leave you to solve this yourself. I'm going to let you work this out yourself. And what they're thinking is I've just been ditched and I'm not being looked after and I'm having to fend for myself and I'm finding this really stressful. Um, so I think knowing, knowing where to sit on that line is, is really important. And I think communication is probably the key there, just speaking to people. Um, I think in terms of... I think there's some, there's some really basic things to good leadership. I think, yeah, you talked earlier on about passion. I think passion is a massive one. I think very, you know, I heard a good analogy is that you can, you know, you can have authority over somebody and make them do things, but it's not the same as getting someone to, to follow you. And it's very hard to follow people if they haven't got passion and commitment in what they do. I think people do need to be good at what they do. I think you can get past the fluff. And if you realize people don't have the capability or competence, I think that that's a big issue. Um, and I think just being, yeah, just at its core, I think being a decent human pe being, because I don't think people actually follow 
people they don't know, like you know, they don't like or trust, that you're not going to follow those people. Yeah. I think it's making sure it's clear that if you are asking somebody to do something, it's clear that you are, it's something that you would do in the reverse. Yeah, I think trust is a big one, really, isn't yeah. it? And I'd be interested. And that takes time. It just takes time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It takes time to build it, and and it can be the smallest thing that can quite easily break it as well, can't it? And then it's really tough regaining trust. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting, what would be interesting to learn more about is, um, you know, you talked quite a lot about kind of um, communication and um, and that control and. Um, you know, kind of, you could, you know, step in too early or not step in and try and, you know, show that trust and that support element, but then it could still have the reverse effect. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is really kind of, you know, knowing when and how to manage those situations is different for each individual. Um, Absolutely. Is different. Well, for each individual and each situation that individual may find them in. Yeah, so yeah. That's um, what do you do to? Um, so I think you know I'm I'm a firm believer of um, you know I don't think you can ever master um, leadership, but um, you know being a kind of true, open, honest um, leader is you know aided by really understanding your people and what. Um, you know what drives them, what motivates them, how to get the best out of you know bring out you know bring out the best version of themselves with under your um, leadership. How, what 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 do you have any kind of specific ways tools um, that you do that other than the kind of you know usuals of getting to know someone as well as you can do? Is there anything? So I think I definitely I definitely uh, and it's something that I've struggled with as we've got bigger. I'm definitely a uh, you know, usual get to know, so you know, yeah. catch and tweet. I'm a person to person person. Um, I think other directors are probably stronger at making sure there are platforms for communicating things. Um, you know, it's simple stuff running pulse surveys, sending out emails, um, arranging things. Whereas I'm very much ad hoc, I haven't seen them in two weeks. I'm gonna go and ask them how they are. Um, and it's difficult because it doesn't necessarily scale, but that goes back to the culture of if you do that for the people that report to you, you should kind of, you know, I ask you how you are, I expect you to kind of pass that down the chain such that everyone's been spoken to. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and how's your approach, like day-to-day -day approach of managing your people, your direct people? Um... I think one of the big things that I used to be quite bad at is I quite, I think it's probably from the background I come from, I quite like the constant, I quite like the constant element of chaos. I think I am, I react. Yeah, me too. It, I don't really, I, yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't really, I don't really get stressed or I don't, you know, not necessarily aware when I'm getting stressed. Mm. Um, I work well and, you know, when it's busy and there's pressure. And I think what I realised is people loved coming on the journey and working in that type of environment for maybe a week. But after two or three weeks, they were burnt out by six months a year. They were just exhausted. Yeah. Um, so I definitely changed the way in which I've definitely still yeah, re relatively slowed down a bit. Still, um, still marginally chaotic. Uh, How did you uh, do that? Anything? Any, any conscious effort. Like conscious effort. Yeah. I think that I was exactly the same, um, Phil, and I, I feel like particularly from my own personal journey, that it's something that I have to work on consistently, almost daily, 
because yeah. it's it's almost like a learned behaviour, isn't it? It's part of your DNA, your characteristic. Like, how do you? I don't think it's something that you can necessarily. Um, you know, it's something that you're not always aware of as well. Like, it's in your yeah. subconscious. So, I found that I've had to work on it consistently. But I mean, I still I still think there is a time and a place for it. There is a time and a place for things that need to get done quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what do you, on the flip side, what do you look for in your leaders? Like when you're hiring your leadership team, what do you look for? It's this, I mean, I suppose when I, you know, we talk about leaders hiring, bringing in leaders, there's two types. There's people internally and people externally. I mean, the internal ones are easier because you, you, you get to see all the attributes that you look for. And it's extremely hard when you're bringing new people into, you know, obviously, I mean, you know what it's like when you bring somebody in at a senior level of a business, they're not just doing that function. They, they have the ability to, you know, cause massive disruption all the way down. Told, yeah. yeah, so I'm always really nervous about people at that level. But I think it's the same checklist. It's, you know, are they really passionate about what they're doing? Are they really competent? Are they gonna, are they gonna, are they gonna take ownership of stuff? Um, you know, a big thing around ownership, I always explain this to people, it's saying, you know, if, if this is your responsibility and you stand up and walk out at half five on a Friday, people are naturally going to be very unhappy about the fact you've just walked out at half five on a Friday. And the solution is not, therefore, to stay till 10 o'clock on a Friday, is to put your hand in the air at two o'clock on Thursday saying, you should be aware this isn't going to be ready by end of day Friday, not just assume it's someone else's problem. And when does, um, in your opinion, because I guess this brings us on nicely to, the, to one of my next questions, when does a confident leader become an arrogant leader? So this is, a, yeah, I mean, this is a difficult, so I've struggled with a balance, not that I've, sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase this. I probably, um, I naturally avoid doing anything that has my name on it normally. So any type of award, you know, best lead, I avoid all of them. And do everything through the business. Um, I think primarily because as we as we were growing, you, you don't want the focus to be on you. You want the focus to be on the business. Um, but then I've learned that actually, the bigger we've got, and even big big corporates we deal with, they want to know you because you are effectively you know if you trickle up through the culture and the values, you know if you're a director of that business, you're driving you're the driving force behind all of it. So people do want to know about you. They want to know you exist. Um, that you're a real person and that you you align with all of the values that you shout about on your website um, but it is some it is it's a dangerous one isn't it about being confident how do you uh, how do you you know use self-promotion as a tool to raise awareness and promote an organization without you know drifting into the world of self-idolatry and just going com, com, going off on one with a one you know one-man band as a, a giant personal marketing campaign. Uh, it's a difficult one. Yeah. yeah, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to, to balance, isn't it? Um, absolutely. Um, especially, um, you know, I guess for, for your position as well with you um, externally facing out as well and, and having to work on your brand and presence from, from that point yeah. of view. Because um, you want people, because it's difficult, you know, you go... You know, you are going to have to go, you know, you, you do have to use words like I am the best and we are the best and it just always feels uncomfortable. But if you don't, people, if someone else walks into the room and they go, well, we are the best, they'll be like, well, they said the best, Phil didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah, exactly. 
It is, and um, the tech industry is obviously constantly evolving. I've been in the industry for 21, 22 years now. You've obviously been in it for a long time as well. Um, so I'd be really interested to share, um, particularly at the minute, it's quite a, I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what your experiences are um, within Audacia, but at the minute it, it does, it, the market is just really, it's weird. I don't know how best how else to describe it really, like it's very up and down. Um, what do you think is the biggest change that is due to come to the industry and when? Like, what are your predictions around that? I'd be really interested to to hear. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a big change just for our, but I think, I mean, okay, it's under a lot of buzz at the moment with things like ChatGPT, but I think, I think we, we do a step change in around AI, in, 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 in technologies around that. I think we're seeing a convergence of lots of different things suddenly come to the fore. You know, you're seeing Google kind of create their own you know, seven years ago, that you know, attention is all you need. They created a paper around these transformer algorithms and all these large language models have hopped on the back of them and open AI has just, yeah, set the world on fire. So I think because there are so many industrial applications where I think a lot of the time, you know, we get, you know, we've had it before where we've had, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds in budgets for machine learning projects years ago where they were like, you know, I want to invest in this machine learning project. And I was like, brilliant. What, what for? I'm like, well, I don't know. You, t you, you, t you tell me like this, you know, I just need, I just need a budget on spent around this area. Whereas now I just feel like there's a bit of an alignment in, I don't know, kind of the, you know, the, 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 the theory moving into practice, the practice requiring certain technologies, you know, or, you know, being advanced in cloud computing, there just seems to be all the jigsaw pieces field seems to be falling together at the moment. You know, and I think, do I, you know, do I think that it is going to be the end of job roles? Maybe, you know, the common one here is around customer support, but you hear lawyers are going to get wiped out. But I heard a brilliant statement that was, you know, lawyers aren't going to be replaced by AI. Lawyers that don't use AI will be replaced by lawyers that do use AI. So I think the big thing is that people... Yeah, okay. Sorry, go on. Go on, sorry. No, 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 you yeah, I was just going to say... I just I think there's a delay on the line, isn't there? I think I was just going to agree that, yeah, I, think, I don't think it's going to be a case of um, AI replacing a huge amount of workforce. It's if we don't, if people don't embrace the use of um, new technology and move with the times, then people may get left behind, um, which I think has been an ever kind of evolving situation in within the industry. And, and also adapt to the and adapt to the fact that people are in, you know engaging with it. You know, you know we've got everybody here using it from you know creating letters, creating emails, creating content, uh, code generation. You know, we are still it, it creates it's cr it's creating conversations that need to be had around security, IP. Where's this coming from? Who owns this? Did we generate it? So there's a lot of questions going to get thrown to the forefront pretty quickly. Yeah. Cool. Um, and what, um, what's your biggest leadership um, lesson that you've learned over the last sort of, I don't know, say in the last sort of 10 years? You'd have to dig deep on that one. <laughs> I think, um, I suppose, a big, I suppose the realisation I had is that you know, I, I subscribe to a lot of leadership things. So I'm a member of a group. I don't know if you've heard of Vistage. I'm a member of the, uh, yeah. So I'm a member of the CEO, CEO group. 
um, vestige. And you do all of this training and you get, you know, these are all things you can do with culture and people and process improvement. And then it's very hard then to come back in and when, you know, you go straight back into work the next day and there's a million other things you need to do. And trying to push it down, push all of those learnings down through is quite challenging. And then, I think it was maybe four years ago, I think we put two other directors, trying to spread the load and put them into business. And this is, I mean, it's not cheap. I think it's, you know, it's, I think, uh, 10 grand a head per year. So it's not, it's not a cheap, it's something we deliberately put money into. But that was a really, that was uh, something I probably left longer than I should because you, you know, you come in on a, on a day and you realize that we've implemented a thing and it's like, oh, I've read about that thing. And it's, because I, I was used to seeing if there was any big changes in the business because I'd done them. And now I'm finding that there are, you know, bigger changes being implemented faster and better by people that aren't me. Because um, I've given them access to the things that I was attending and then just not distributing. Yeah, I, I think that's a common um, uh, challenge, isn't it? And it can be quite difficult to um, to get it right. I, I, I'm I do I'm the same. You know, I'll go to these kind of like all day conferences and events where I'm around other business owners and, and leaders, and I come back to the office now, or like I'll come back the next day, and I'm like really kind of like geared up, and I'm like, oh, I want to do this, this, and this, and it's just. You've then got your day job. You've got your list is longer than your arm of other um, business priorities, and it is difficult to to implement them. Um, and I do think it's yeah, it is about trying to get that balance right, isn't it? Of having other people in the business that are dedicated, have got that responsibility to um, to take some of the ownership and of those things away from from us, but it's. It's just knowing the time. It's knowing the time to get those people in, and knowing it's knowing the time to get those people in, and it's knowing the time to get those people that you have got in start doing those things. Yeah. You're never going to get it lined up perfectly. No, no. Um, fantastic. And what's your um, what you what do you read books? I always ask. Uh, I like to ask about recommendations, like or any kind of like really useful resources, content around leadership that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? So I'm a big fan of audiobooks, probably more audiobooks than normal. Occasionally a book on holiday, but definitely a big fan of audiobooks. Uh, and they're probably, I suppose, on the, um, the work side of things. It's, I mean, there's some leadership ones, like the Simon Sinek books, the, you know, why leaders eat last type books. I do like a lot of the behavioral economics books. So the Freakonomics, uh, Kahneman's Think Fast, Think Slow, uh, Misbehaving, Richard Taylor, I think it was. Um, Inside the Nudge Unit is a really good book. So that's basically how the Conservative Party created a set of people to use uh, kind of behavioral influences. So these are classic things like, instead of telling somebody, you know, you're gonna get a hundred pound fine for not putting yourself assessment return in, they say, are you aware that you are in 0.01% of society? And that fear of not being a part of an inclusive society, the, the impact on these people's psychology is much more powerful than a hundred pound fine. So I think that's fascinating, uh, a lot of that side of stuff. Uh, apart from that, I do like kind of uh, technology books, you know, classics like Hatching Twitter. Um, there's a really good one on culture um, by the Zappos founder, Delivering Happiness, I think it's called. Um, and then one of my favourites is the story which has been in the news recently about Elizabeth Holmes who founded Theranos. I don't know if you've heard of Theranos. The mm. kind of scam, blood testing. 
They were meant to do pinprick blood, for example. But they were being watered down, stuck in Siemens machines. Bad blood by John Carreyou, who was a New York Times journalist that broke it. It's a brilliant book. Interesting. Um, I might have to look at um, a couple of those. I'd like the sound of that culture one as well, delivering happiness. Yeah. It's always a tough one, I, I, I find, with culture. Um, and actually, it'd be interesting to... Um, interesting to hear a little bit about before we we finish is um hear a little bit about the culture at audacia um and th any if there's anything that you've implemented that you think is you know that's worked well that others could utilize anything that um you know that you'd like to pass on from that point of view getting an external person to come in and do some work around our culture and our values i think when you're smaller it's a lot easier to mm -hmm in a room together and define what you think your culture and your values are but as you get bigger they, they kind of your culture kind of takes a life takes on a life of its own so having somebody come in it was something as simple as you know one of the exercises with people with small play-doh creating models out of play-doh to describe how they saw their role how they saw the business you know their their version of a, a vision from their perspective and it kicked out a you know kind of a, a set of values for the business that and I think it's important that we, you know, we we did do a really good job of not just producing them and forgetting about them. You get them referenced in board meetings by, you know, one of our key things is should we do this? And you know, and it's it'll come back in a board meeting going, well, hang on a second, that's, that's kind of contrary to one of our core values. So I think, I mean, we're not as strong as some people who kind of live every decision and every hire and every fire based on a value. We're not there, but we de we're definitely aware of them and, 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 and constantly reference them when we're making decisions. So I think that's important because you know it's. Um, I, I was just going to say I can't remember who, who it was. There was a someone said uh, you know culture culture eat strategy for breakfast. Drucker Peter Drucker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, no, I agree. I think it's important that um, you know once it's been defined that you do refer back to the values and. Um, you know the strategy that you've created because um, it, you're not going to have the, you know the, you want, you're not going to get buy-in otherwise, and they just it just gets forgotten about, doesn't it? And it's very difficult to withhold it throughout the organisation, which I think is where a lot of people um, fall down. I've spoken to other um, you know company owners and MDs that have and CEOs that have have done the same, and they've spent a fortune on cult, you know have, using a consultancy. Um, and I felt that they wasted their money, but I think quite often it's the, that lack of follow through and continuous implementation into the business on a regular basis, which is where it can fall down. Absolutely, yeah. Fantastic, brilliant. Um, so if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, um, you know, we've had a number of people on um, this podcast before where we've had listeners, viewers just wanting to find out a bit more um, about, you know, particular things that have been discussed or, or maybe even mentoring opportunities, um, any, anything. Um, might, someone just might want to pick your brains about something, run an idea past you. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? I think contact, contact the business, if you contact info at audacy.co.uk and you reference this podcast, it will definitely get forwarded on to me. Cool, fantastic, brilliant. Great, well thank you very much for your time today, for sh sharing your valuable um, experience and your talking more about your journey. Um, it's been really interesting 
um, I'm definitely going, I'm going to go away and, and read at least one of the books you recommended. So thank you for that. And um, I look forward to speaking to you again. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to our latest Let's Talk Leadership, the Culture Reddit Reloaded podcast. If you are a leader interested in being on the hot seat, contact me via LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Take care and see you all soon.